folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey, you got a cool giveaway to tell you about before we get into the show. It is a $50 gift card from Soda Stick. If you are already a subscriber to the Purple Insider newsletter, respond to any email from Purple Insider with the Soda Stick item that I mentioned later in the show. Or to get yourself entered, go to purpleinsider.substack.com. That's purpleinsider.substack.com. And you don't have to pay anything. You can sign up for the free list and you'll be automatically entered to win if you are a new subscriber to purpleinsider.substack.com and you could potentially win the $50 gift card from SodaStick. So remember, SodaStick.com also to check out all of their Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Let's get to the show. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here along with Dave Campbell of the Associated Press, the guy that I consider to be the OG of the beat. What is up, Dave? <laughs> oh. How's that feel? Yeah, that's that's a lot to lot to live up to for this next segment, but uh it's it's going well. Always good to be on the on the pod. Uh not much is going on. Um just another day in paradise. Uh, well, we have a lot of time to speculate and ponder is the way that I think about it, Dave. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to go out and do stuff or <laughs> you know, have things right. in our lives, but we do have a lot of time to ponder the Minnesota Vikings. So I have a few things I want to talk with you about. I actually want to start with the silliest part of this podcast and then get into yes. the serious part, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, because I sent you two topics and the – one topic that I sent is about Mike Zimmer, and I really want your perspective on this. Having, and I joke about you being the OG, but you've seen a lot of different coach rises and falls here in Minnesota, and I really want to get your your feeling and your opinions on the timeline with Mike Zimmer and kind of where we've come and where we're going to go. We'll get to that in a minute. But the other thing was I want you to tell me what the funniest thing, now that we are officially in the offseason, the funniest thing that we spent entire offseasons covering, writing about, talking about, interviewing people about, that just meant absolutely nothing to the regular season. Because I'm always excited about this. I'm always excited about, like, what topic will it be that I write a ton of words on that will make no difference toward next year? Yes. And uh, I want to know what you thought of. Yeah, that's uh, – there's so many possibilities. You know <sighs> – the first one that came to mind was uh, 
Delvin Cook's uh, sort of logging off from virtual workouts last spring as if there was going to be some irreparable rift between player and team and as if they there was going to be a staring contest and they weren't going to give him that extension. I mean, it was so obvious. He was on the uh, – they had him on, like, promotional materials, you know, for – I feel like I can't remember the timing, but it was like, you know, looking schedule. at the schedule. the schedule release. Yeah. That's what yeah. it was. Um, you know, and, and the way they set up the offense, you know, the head coach basically two years prior saying, uh, you know, firing an offense coordinator because they didn't run the ball enough. So, um, you know, obviously they, they could have still kept him without giving the extension, but uh, sort of a strategy that would have been fraught with, uh, risk if they were truly serious about this type of offense. So that was one. Um, but maybe that's the, more, the most recent example because, I mean, there was stuff that, you know, it's it's part of covering the NFL. It's not like you couldn't, uh, you know, it's not like you could just ignore the fact that uh, the deal wasn't done yet and, and within the context of, uh, you know, NFL running back contracts and how so few teams these days do any up for that. But, um, you know, it, that, that, was, that was a little bit of a silly one. Uh, largely driven by his uh, his agent, um, I think. Another one that came to mind uh, of the recent elk was sort of uh, Mike Hughes' injury recovery. He's a first-round draft pick, had a had a pick six once, and uh, has a head coach who's been with a track record of developing corners, cornerbacks. And so um, we have just we just sort of fell into the. The mindset that this is going to be a real key development for this season. Well, who is he? He may not even play for the team ever again. We don't even know. You got to feel bad for a guy that has that many injury setbacks, especially like with a neck. I'm not talking a hamstring here, so um, can't blame the guy um, uh, for not being available, especially for those types of injuries. The ACL first, you know, it's just fluke stuff. But at this point, you know, we've spent a lot of uh, a lot of words uh, both in print and over the air on Mike Hughes. Is he going to play the slaughter outside? It, it, just, it was just because he's, you know, first round pick. He just had this, after they got rid of, uh, you know, Rhodes, Waynes, and Alexander, it was just sort of the default. Well, he's the best cornerback they have. And so thereby is the most important storyline in that position group. But I think, uh, I think we see how that kind of played out and how, you know, they basically never, <laughs> Gladney and Dantzler, like never left the field and, you know, for, for better or worse, that's obviously who you're going to be rolling with moving forward. Another one, well, I'm, I'm going to nominate, and I guess I could, I could easily be wrong in this, but I'm, I, I got to nominate uh, Kirk Cousins' trade speculation this offseason. <laughs> we'll um, see. We'll look see. at that. Look <laughs> at that cap hit. Uh, I, I, yeah. I'd be pretty safe in saying he's taken the first snap in the 2020 season opener. Now I get it. It's it's cousins and it's quarterback stuff, and there's other stuff going around in the league, and it contributes to all the all the chatter. Um, I think it's fascinating to analyze and speculate about just because of how complicated quarterback contracts are, and um, and how unique it is. With, you know, sort of a phenomenon almost just started last offseason about franchise quarterbacks or you know top top half top fifty percentile quarterbacks don't ever change teams, but all of a sudden now it's like happening or at least the possibility of it happening all over the league. So, you know, I get why we're talking about that, but that one, I think it's a little bit too much uh, airtime and print time at times. Um, another one I thought of was uh, 
Cal Rudolph's contract status where like, ooh, they might have to cut him. Um, and then they ended up blinking and gave him the extension. But I, I think there was a little bit more alarm about having to move on from him or, or trading him, like it's sort of like a changing of the guard at the position that then maybe fit the um, actual impact on the on the offense. Now there's the community side and obviously longer tenured player and, you know, still, I think obviously even at his age still provides a lot of value in the passing game when they actually throw him the ball. Um, yeah. Right. But on the other hand, you know, I, I think that one, particularly since it was an off season issue and, and he spoke out a little, you know, fairly bluntly about it. I, I want to say after a mini camp, mm-hmm. yep. and, you know, basically, He's not shy about voicing his belief in his value. Like, unlike some players might just say, oh, that's from age, and they won't, you know, they won't really touch that subject. So, you know, part of it was fueled by his willingness to speak about it. But that was another one. Like, well, we didn't necessarily think he was going to go anywhere, but if, if he did, uh, it wasn't going to be some like, seismic change in the trajectory of the franchise. So I love all of these picks, and let me just touch on each one of them. My favorite moment of each, Kyle Rudolph at the media golf tournament, which is a yearly thing, holding his own little side press conference to basically say, I want to continue to be a Viking. And then I don't know if it was in that press conference or another one where he said, but like plenty of teams would totally trade for me. <laughs> You're like, okay, buddy, we know, you know, <laughs> and then he did an interview and this is funny because this went totally under the radar. He did an interview at an event, I think in like South Dakota that he was doing. And you know, like you said, the community stuff is unparalleled and he does a terrific job with all of that. But someone asked him like, would you like to get traded? to the Patriots and he said you know, something to the extent of like oh I'd love to be a Patriot or whatever and it just it, nobody picked up on it because it happened in South Dakota but if, if somebody sent it to me and I was just like I can't believe he said this I can't believe he said like sure I'd love to go play for the Patriots and then like you said every time the deals get worked out we all move right. on the exactly. might the Mike Hughes issue is sort of tragic because I think he yeah. is a good player, but he just keeps yeah. getting hurt. But after his first game, Mike Zimmer dunked on everybody because there was all the conversation about, like, should he draft a lineman and everything else? And then he, after his first game, it's, you see, we yeah. drafted the right guy. And then here we are a couple years later. Yeah. He has not played as many snaps in three years as Jeff Gladney played last year. And yeah. and you're right about the amount of space that's spent with like, what can Mike Hughes be? And the answer so far is we still have no idea three years yeah. in and we may not ever find out. The Delvin Cook one is the funniest because it would be, you know, 10 o'clock on a Sunday night in the summer. And all of a sudden Schefter pops up with something of like <laughs> Delvin Cook's agent says he's not going to show up to training camp or says Mike Zimmer's lying about whether he told him he was going to show up to training camp and all these things. And then he's there. They signed the contract. No big deal. Everybody moves on with their lives. And it was just a lot of drama for nothing. Uh, yeah. My my two favorites that came to mind for storylines we spent a lot of time on that meant nothing. Anthony Barr, comma, pass rusher. Is just, <laughs> yeah, like, that's a good one. It's just I like it. Ev- every camp. Yeah. Anthony, you need to rush the passer more. It's like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, no and then there's the one uh, training camp practice where you actually lined up at defensive end maybe yes. Griffin was getting a break or something a couple of years ago and that oh you know, we that lost our minds full weeks worth of stories there yes exactly and it turns out that I mean he's just better doing a lot of things than he is one thing and beating running backs and tight ends uh on blitzes is different than beating 320 pound tackles and Mike Zimmer 
as much as uh, they had a rough year on defense last year and, quote, miscalculated some things, I tend to believe Mike Zimmer. If he tells me this player is better at that than he is at something else, I think you're probably right. Um, that he's Anthony Barr is better and more valuable in his current role than he would be as a pure pass rusher. But, you know, he had good blitzing numbers. And then he fed into it because he kept saying to us, oh, yeah, I want to rush that passer more. I want to rush. I'm, a, I'm better at going straight than backward or whatever. Like he had all sorts of quotes that just kept pushing this and pushing this. And we were like, okay, yeah, all right, let's yeah. go. Um, <laughs> my Maybe my all-time favorite is in terms of off-season things that were super dramatic and then meant nothing is Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd is – Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, he's like in the Hall of Fame of this. Yeah, the, the kombucha tea incident. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to training camp and just – they put him on the second team because he can't play right away. And he destroys fools. He's out there every day like shredding apart these undrafted free agent second teamers. We're like, wow, Michael Floyd looks great. He's going to be the pure deep threat they've always dreamed of having. And then just, you know, he had like nine catches or something. It's like, well, you know, it is yep. – um, that, that is how it goes. So I don't and know. For, 10 for 78, I just looked it oh, up. Oh, 10 for 78. A very memorable first catch in Chicago, if I recall. Okay in that win over uh, the Bears that sort of turned the 2017 season. He made yeah. that diving catch. You're like, wow, yes. another weapon. And then, you know, nothing from Michael Floyd the rest of the way. And no other kombucha-related incidents. And the famous quote from Mike Zimmer where he said, if I find out he's lying, I'll cut him. And you're like, Mike, I'm, I don't know how to tell you this, but he <laughs> might not be telling you the truth. <laughs> I just... Anyway, yeah, I've, I've never I watched him play as a sophomore in a playoff game for Creighton Durham Hall, uh, and I've, I've never seen a high school player that good. I mean, he he still squeezed out seven or eight years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he had some off the field stuff, but that's that's still pretty good. It's longer than the average bear. But uh, so I don't want to say he like burnt it, you know, peaked in high school. But man, I I've never seen a guy that talented, that young of an age. He was he was something. He had a good NFL career. It was just always the question yeah. of whether it should have been a better NFL career. Yeah. And I would yeah. make the case that it should have been. And yeah. you know, maybe if he was in a better position in his life, he would have been in a better position for the Vikings that year. Not that they needed a ton of help that particular season. So those right. are those are some of my favorites. Now, I was going to ask the follow-up of, like, what's it going to be this year? But you've already answered that right. with yep. Cousins trade rumors. And let me just say that I agree with you. Like, you don't hire Clint Kubiak and then trade your quarterback. Like, you hire Clint Kubiak because you want Kirk Cousins' offense for Kirk Cousins to run it, and it would be totally shocking if they decided to trade him. I think it's two different conversations of whether they should consider it and whether they should pick up the phone um, if Carolina were to call with that eighth overall pick or something like that. Like, there, there are two different ways of looking at it. So I think it's worth talking about philosophically – as other teams kind of look for ways out of these contracts with quarterbacks who are 10th to 12th to 15th in the league, I think that is an interesting angle of it. But there is no actual legitimate even fire or or, or smoke to look at when it comes to a Kirk Cousins trade. It's just people saying, remember Kyle Shanahan loves Kirk Cousins? Like, okay. Yeah. Right? Like that's not – And there was a Bay Area reporter who leaked uh, or, you know, who reported unsourced that – the 49ers would have interest or something, you know, so, but 
you know, what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Exactly. And clearly like they're trying to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. So how many people would they quote have interest in? Yeah. Um, 20 guys. Right. So anyway, um, well, let's also consider, which might help you segue into the next segment. Let's also consider like with a head coach and a general manager with, you know, no time or interest in doing any reset or any step back whatsoever. Um, you know, you could almost eliminate the possibility right there. And this is why I did want to talk to you about the timeline because I wrote an article about it and um, I like to get other people's viewpoints and just tell them mine and see if you see it the same way or differently, because I see it this year as for the general manager and head coach that they have a lot of pressure to be in the playoffs again and be competitive in the playoffs um, to, to put together a team that looks like it's on the rise and is instantly um, serious in the NFC. I also think there's a, an argument to be made that the more patience you have with this thing and trying to build it out, the better. But these two people are not really in a position to feel that way. And yet, here's what I struggle with a little, Dave, is we just never hear from ownership. In fact, these days, we never hear from the coach or the general manager. I mean, aside from, you know, the in-season stuff. But you hire an offensive coordinator, and the coach is not on the press conference. And the general manager is not on the press conference. I found both of those things unusual. And the only time that uh, Rick Spielman spoke with us was when George Payton left, and he declined to answer any other questions about this season and about the roster and so forth. So we hear so little from these people now that it does leave a lot to be sort of filled in with the gaps. It it does. And it also, to me, makes it seem like it's another sign of the pressure, I think, that is exists to try to uh, not just turn it around, but, you know, do it quickly and, and uh, meaningfully um, given sort of the ticking you know, sort of clock on their tenures, um, even though they, they both did get extensions a year ago. So maybe that's not fair to say ticking clocks, but they've both been here a long time. Yeah, it's certainly an ownership group that, you know, exerts as little public pressure as any ownership group does in the in the league. Mm-hmm. And they certainly have stated at times their admiration for the stable franchises like the Steelers and like the Giants who were, they were, they grew up Giants fans. Um, it's pretty obvious that they do value that over, over the alternative of like the Lions firing coaches every couple of years. It, it, it was, I would say, a conspicuous absence by Zimmer on the Clint Kubiak call. You know, you would think it'd be something he'd want to not to, not get out in front of, but like sort of say, hey, uh, nothing's going to change with this offense. That was a top five or top eight or whatever, however you want to measure it. it. Offense in the league last year, you know, believe in this guy, yada, yada, yada. Especially, you know, a young, you know, trusting it to a, it's unproven. Clint even said that pretty, uh, didn't back back away from that at all. I, I had a lot to prove. Um, so turning your offense over to a 34-year-old who has not called plays before raises its own questions. Yeah, it'll be really interesting, I guess, whenever he does do his next media appearance, what, uh, what he has to say about it. You, you might you might also read that as he's got as much, he's got more work to do on the defense than he had since he took over. So could very well be sort of thinking about it like that. Like, this is not my problem. <laughs> Assume that uh, things will run as smoothly 
as they did on that side of the ball. Um, we're not changing anything. Hopefully Rick will bring in a few new starting linemen, and I'm just going to focus on my pet project on the other side of the ball here. And also, too, you know, um, we talk about his persona and arc here in Minnesota. He, many, many head coaches in the league are far more polished from a PR standpoint and get behind the company line or, or see themselves as the face of the one of the most popular sports franchises in, in the world based on the, being in the NFL. He's never done that. Um, you never will do that. There are a few exceptions, like guys who are maybe more in that um, category, like Bill Belichick or something. But these days, more coaches are, are around the league are, are more likely to, to be there, to, you know, to talk about it and say the things, you know, and, and right. that's just not him. Uh, so. Hey, everyone who listens to this show knows that I am an old school gamer. So if you're still playing the games from the 90s, trust me, you're going to want to check out the new gear from Soda Stick football, hockey, and a Minnesota logo in the form of another famous video game logo. I'll just say that. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. Go to SodaStick.com to check out the old school gaming designs on shirts, hoodies. All their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota. That is SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. So, if you're a subscriber to the newsletter already, just respond with the word video games to any newsletter email for Purple Insider. And if you want to get entered for the $50 gift card from SodaStick, just go to purpleinsider.substack.com. You can sign up for the free list. Don't drive you crazy with it, I promise. Purpleinsider.substack.com, and you will be automatically entered to win $50 gift card from SodaStick. I think I, I really would have wanted to know his response to just the like how much freedom Clint Kubiak is going to have to change things. I mean, that's the biggest question. And when we get that answered, how Mike Zimmer answers it, whether he chooses to answer it or not, it's more like, yeah, I think September, October, November are when we're going to get our answers to, to that. And the other thing, too, is, though, Zimmer's history with offensive coordinators has been that he sort of wants to say, I'm the defensive guy, I'm in charge of the defense, and you do, go do whatever you want on offense. But then as soon as it's not ticking perfectly, that changes. And I would also love to know about that relationship with Clint Kubiak, especially since it's someone so much younger than Zimmer, who's been put into this limelight type of position. And the last time that happened, now it's not an ageism thing because it happened with Norv too, but it's like, you know, Kevin Stefanski was perfect at tap dancing around the wants of his head coach in terms of a philosophy with modernizing the offense in 2019. And they were one of the best offenses in the league in 2019. Last year, Gary Kubiak, he sort of saw as an equal or maybe even a little bit superior in some ways because Kubiak has those rings and on all the things that he's accomplished. And so that relationship seemed to really work with those two. But when it was Norv Turner and things went wrong a little bit, I mean, they were what five and two and yet it was Norv saying, I can't work with this anymore. And with DeFilippo, yeah. they were in a decent spot as well early in 2018. Remember, Cousins throws for like 400-something yards in that game against the Packers that they should have won. And 
yet they sort of hit a hiccup. They have an ugly game in New York, and then all, all the things sort of come unraveled of, I, I need to run the ball more, and this offensive coordinator is not running an offense I want, and, and, and so on and so forth. And it's just like one of those things that you could see off in the distance, but there's no assurances because he wasn't there to tell us, that's not going to be the case, that he's going to have his control. He's going to be able to change things. So I'm sort of left to believe that this is going to be Mike Zimmer's offense first, and then Rick Dennison's and Brian Perriani's and Keenan McCardle's, and then also Clint Kubiak. And, um, you know, I, I don't know of any other way to look at it that it'll just be a lot of like, hey, we had it right last year. Just stay with what you were doing. Yeah, that's an interesting sort of way to look at it. I, I mean, you could um... – maybe draw a parallel to what we kind of assumed in 2019 when Stefanski was the offensive coordinator, but they had brought in Kubiak, Dennison, et cetera. And so it was Kubiak's system, but Stefanski's calling the plays. So maybe we even, I mean, they would trot out Kubiak to do several media sessions. So it's, uh, and he's an interesting guy and obviously has the background and the accomplishment. It was easy at times, I think, just for the, public media to sort of minimize Stefanski's influence and responsibility and focus on Kubiak because he's a big name and the new guy and all that stuff. There won't be that new guy, big name on the offense side. I, I tend to think because of, you know, it's not just uh, where it's not Stefanski, I guess this Kubiak is actually Gary's son and actually came with him. And and the fact that Rick Dennison, another coach of that who's an actual peer of Zimmer's as far as time in the league and his influence on the run side of it kind of think maybe somewhere in the middle between what you are sort of wondering is the case about you know whether it's Zimmer's still like significantly micromanaging the process or versus hey you guys take care of this I got the defense to worry about right and I've always looked at it as he is only a defensive coach until he isn't until yeah. he decides until he sees something that he doesn't want. And then even then he was sure to mention on a handful of occasions, Oh, Gary asked me if we could run this play at this time. And I said, yes, or something like that. You know, and it was like, okay. I mean, I know that's how it works with the headsets and everybody, you know, Hey, what do you want to do here? And that kind of thing. But there are times where he will sort of act like it's not his problem. And then there are other times where he'll act like I'm not happy with something and I'm going to make that very clear. And a lot of times it's even very clear to us that he's making it. I mean, even when you talk about players like Case Keenum and, and so forth and, you know, taking risks and throwing interceptions. And he's um, towed the line a little bit with Kirk Cousins a few times of things that he was unhappy with that have always been interesting to study because I know Cousins is not a fan of that uh, being called out in the media and things like that. So um, I, I want to know what you think um, in terms of the trajectory of Zimmer and whether patience will be given if this season is not massively better. Like, let's say now that there's seven teams in the playoffs, like let's say it's nine and seven, let's say if it's eight and eight um, and they make some of the sort of typical status quo type of off season moves. They draft a pass rusher. They sign a three technique in, you know, free agency. They sign another guard that we're not celebrating in the streets, that kind of thing. Right. What kind of patience? Because I, I think his win loss record is very good. And mostly his defensive record is very, very good. But I started to think about every year, even when they've won, there has been tension around Zimmer and a lot of it has been self-created. And I think that at some point it becomes like how much more of this 
do we have in us of the like, you know, Zimmer in 2016, um, you know, with Anthony Barr and sort of alienating him in, in the way that he talked through the media. And also the piece that Tyler Dunn wrote about the relationships that he's formed with some people and how, you know, they're former assistant coaches that want to fight him and things like that. Like it just, it, it's just never an Andy Reid like um, sort of situation where everyone feels uh, a calmness in doing their job, put it that way. And there's been so much turnover in these last couple of years. It's not his guys anymore like it was running it back year after year. And so I just I wonder what you make of kind of all those factors to what kind of patience they'll have going forward here. You kind of covered exactly where it's at, but that's the the question is the great mystery is sort of what touched on just a few minutes ago about ownership being pretty close to the vest about how this is going and how they're feeling about it. You know, we do know the Wolves pay um, pretty close attention to, you know, every press conference, let's say that the coach gives or the general manager gives along the way, even in a regular, regular season week. So they, they know what's being said. I think they're pretty, um, they, they don't, they're not absentee type owners in that, you know, they, I think are, are pretty good communicators and, and spend a lot of time talking to people. Uh, what do you think about this? And that and the other thing, but I guess if, if your default like setting or, or overarching philosophy is for, for, um, for stability, you know, it certainly begs the question, you know, would something happen or, or would not happen this coming season you know, to trigger a change. I think uh, they, they certainly, you know, maybe not within the past year, year and a half, but over his eight seasons, they, hey, it's just about any time that they are publicly available, they will they will rave about how much they appreciate, you know, the job Coach Zimmer does. Mm-hmm. So they, they obviously like something there. And I think maybe a little bit scarred by the way the Childress tenure ended. You know, they had just given him a, an extension and then and fired him halfway through that soap opera season of 2010. But it's it's a great mystery. I mean, I think if you were saying what is fair or like what merits type of move, if they weren't get back to the playoffs in 2021, that would be time right to to start over. There's there's obviously the comp, the, the situation's a little bit more complex given that the contract of the head coach is tied to the contract of the general manager as far as timing. General managers don't typically get, you know, three swings at hiring a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, would would a move be made on one and not the other? I, I that would there's no precedent for that in Vikings history um around the league when you see the way that it goes, I probably unlikely. I don't know. I I, I guess it can only we can't get into Mark and Ziggy Wolf's head, so you can only just assess it from our own lens and say like a seven and nine, no progress by or not enough progress by the defense, not not competitive enough or or not beating enough good teams. That type of thing, you know, I think could definitely warrant uh, uh, trigger change. You know, a year from now, be sort of the way I look at it. Hey everyone, want to remind you that if your business is in need of transportation of perishable, non-perishable, or fragile freight, and you want someone who has a 99% delivery rate and is trusted by Fortune 500 companies, then you want to give Scout Logistics a call. 
If you've been hearing about Scout Logistics here on the Purple Insider Podcast and wondering how you can connect with them to learn more, or even if you work for a business with shipping needs and want to kick it upstairs to the decision makers, Scout Logistics is just a phone call away at 855-217-2688, extension 232, or at scoutlogistics.com. Let's be honest, you do not want to mess around with transporting goods. You want the most reliable and the ones who go the extra mile. That's Scout Logistics. Plus, hey, they support this podcast, support the people who support us. So if you have shipping needs, check out Scout Logistics today. It's um, maybe there's a relationship comparison here of if you're in a relationship with someone where it is stable, but it's also tense all the time. Like if, and, and I don't mean that Zimmer is fighting with ownership. I mean that he's fighting with other people all the time. And there's, always, there's just sort of always something every year. Like even this year, Justin Jefferson totally kept the Stefan Diggs thing from becoming a, a thing. But it sort of did when he made the AFC Championship, and it sort of did when he came out and essentially said, yeah, my problem was uh, with the head coach wouldn't talk to me about my issues. And that's, that was my problem, and that's why I'm here playing the AFC Championship game. And so there, that look didn't really get as bad as it could have, but yeah. it's sort of like those two things shouldn't be connected. Jefferson's success really has nothing to do with that other situation. And you even think about Kyle Rudolph coming out and making it public his issues that were going on, which, you know, maybe not directly, directly calling out Mike Zimmer, but still another situation where you had players they tried to bring back who said, nope, not coming back there. Uh, Xavier Rhodes they tried to bring back. They tried to bring back Mackenzie Alexander. They tried to bring back Everson Griffin, and they all kind of went like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm just going to move along. And, you know, then you have those other things. Then you have the other relationships with the coordinators and so forth, and, and you start to build up this sort of body of work of this says – a tense place to work these days. And so if you're the ownership, you're thinking, yes, we know exactly how tense it will be with him. And we know (laughs) when things go wrong, there will be press conferences that make national news. Uh, But at the same time, you have that other part. And this is what we deal with with cousins all the time. But who's replacing him? Because Zimmer is extremely good at his job in terms of coaching and defense and scheming mm-hmm. and all those things and uh, player development and player evaluation most of the time. Um, so it's I think it's one of the hardest things in the world to decide if you're an ownership, when is the right time to move on for from sure. someone? And when is the right time to truly, not like in public, but truly give them vote of confidence? Because I think this is actually, weirdly, a time to do it with Zimmer and say, look, if you go eight and eight next year, that's okay because we know this roster is actually kind of far away. Uh, you know, you you have got time to treat this as a long term thing rather than hey, let's trade for Yannick Ngakwe, right? Because we're so desperate to get that extra pass rusher. So you know, I I think it's a very very uh, hard position to be in. Not that I'm crying tons of tears for the Wilfs, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying. I sort of empathize with how difficult that call is to make of when to have the coach on the hot seat, when decide to make a change and all those things. Yeah, for sure. You, you have to be, you have to be really, well, you have to be will, willing to take risks, not be afraid to have a, a choice that turns out to be unsuccessful, like not be afraid of, of it blowing up badly, like too much of that in the league. And I get where it comes from. There's just so much pressure to win. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a lot of that's 
innate with these people as, it, as much as it is publicly with fans and media and such. But I think you could even boil that down to or channel that same phenomenon to NFL coaches during games and how there's so much uh, outcry these days or how could, how could he kick the field goal? You know, mm-hmm. it's so obvious, you know, it, it's, it's a, there's a, there's a fear whether people would admit it or not of the perceived riskier move, not working out and it ending really badly. Whereas if you take the safe route and it doesn't work out, it somehow doesn't seem quite as bad, but yeah, I, I agree definitely on, on that dilemma of, I think you're right. I think uh, they would almost be wise, especially if you, if you look at, the quarterback situation with Cousins contract and how, you know, unless they're going to take a really drastic outside the box, like aggressive move to go in the other direction and accept maybe a bigger stumble in the, in the next year or two for the long-term vision. If you, if you look at that and the status of the head coach, the general manager, they would almost be most wise to double down and say, this is our leadership. Mm-hmm. We trust in them. This is not what we want last season. It's not what they want, but uh, there's still pieces Starting with Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook's still young. All these things, um, still still reasons to think the way this league is set up, you know, with a little bit of more time, we'll be NFC contenders again. But staying in the limbo land is, I don't think, helps anybody. Um, if it's already tense now, it's going to get more tense if, you know, there's maybe some ups and, you know, if, the, if it's not like some knock it out of the park season or especially even start to the season, right? Like if four and four and maybe there's a another uh last second loss, like like say that Seattle game this past season that they should have won. There's one of those and, you know, there's maybe one bad game in there by by the quarterback and, and the defense the past defense is just not improving drastically enough from last season. Then then it's gonna be the same same uh type of tension only only more. The thing I I think about with Zimmer a lot is you exactly hit on, you know, sort of who he is, he uh, just a, a really an, an excellent defensive strategist, and not just calling a game, but last year maybe aside uh, with the shortened season and so many rookies at one time. But you know, he also can develop players, mm-hmm. teach defensive backs particularly, and then how to be successful NFL standouts. It's almost like you trace back to when he first got hired. This was about his eighth chance at being a head coach. You know, he it sort of famously had a lot of interviews and was like the bridesmaid kind of candidate. And he was not shy about talking about that. He thought this might be his last swing. And he said he thought maybe at times he'd been too blunt with other teams, other ownership groups, general managers in interviewing for those other jobs, but pre 2014. And that maybe hurt him. I know he's, Everybody's strengths are, are always, are also their weaknesses, football coaches, any regular person. So one of his strengths is not being afraid of what people think of him being candid, you know, and, and not like necessarily, uh, you know, telling a guy he's a great player and just to like prop him up and behind his back saying he's terrible. Yeah, I think that also breeds sort of a toughness that, you know, the guy coaches with basically half blindness, you know, how many games did he coach? He missed one game and they had 18 eye surgeries. So, you know, so all those things you can look at as, as traits, uh, positive traits for his ability to do the job. But what that comes with is, it can breed more stubbornness. It can breed a bluntness that is too much for many people to handle. And like with any situation in the league, if if a team is losing or not performing up to expectations, all the any of the little tensions is magnified more than it would be if things are going great, things are winning. I personally tend to downplay most 
stories. We've seen, you know, it's you've seen them since the beginning of time in sports about locker room tension or, or tensions between players and coaches. I tend to downplay those by default in in my own mind because a you always get people talking about them or initiating these discussions. Who the, the disgruntled people start those conversations. It's not the you don't get the the opposite. Like hey. I, I just want to tell you how great a relationship I have with this guy. And it's just going so great. Right. It, it's, yeah. not, it's human nature. It's it's media. You know, you always get the negative first. And and also today's uh, in today's media, we um, see a, a pretty much rampant use of anonymous sources. So it's pretty easy to rip a guy when your name's not attached. Yeah. That's a whole other story. But also, it's just like what I said, it, when tension, tension is higher and a team is losing or underperforming, it's just more likely for those stories to come out. It's also pro sports, super high intensity, alpha males in, in, in this kind of bubble of this is all you do all day long except going home to your family at night. It, there's just a natural, just natural like clashing that's going to happen because it's, because it's human nature. And so it doesn't always mean it's like some big crisis. Mm-hmm. That said, the guy's been there for eight years and so much turnover on the staff, some his fault, some his, some not. And, and and veteran players like these defensive guys he helped groom, you know, the Bar Smith, um, Hunter, all the all these guys that they drafted to help form that great defense. Well, guys get older, they find their voice more, they're more likely to stand up for themselves or, or speak out. Rudolph, and even though it's offensive player, it's another example. Like he's found his voice. He doesn't not afraid of repercussions. So mm-hmm. you, you get more people willing to to speak up and, and uh, you know, sort of like not take it, so to speak. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that you make all great points just about um, how, you know, I, I think of it as the scar tissue builds up in football. And this is why we see very few coaches last a long time. And maybe, and this is why I say that maybe there is this option of saying, hey, look, your job is not on the line for 2021 because you're building this new young roster like you did before. It did not take one year to go from Zimmer takes over to they're a Super Bowl contender. It took four years. And so it probably does take years. And you want to see them have a 2015 season where they're competitive and they play really well and they give you reason to think that they're going to be great. But if you put it all on this season and say, well, it's up to you either make or break, I mean, you might as well just move on and try something different anyway because you're just putting someone in a situation where they feel like they have to act for only this year, which is not the smartest way to go in football where everyone is constantly rising and falling. And, um, you know, I I do think that there's a good point there that when anyone is around, it is so tense, it is so high pressure for this long – you will alienate people, and but Zimmer does have a specific talent for it, I think. That it's like if some other coaches are a 5 out of 10, he's like an 8 out of 10 You know, when it comes to doing this. So then it becomes more and more as the time goes on. So even when he has a good record, there's still a lot of pressure. Whereas someone like Marvin Lewis, I think, who was more mild-mannered, maybe you would get a lot more patience and, and a lot less of a feeling of, you better do it this year. So anyway, um, Dave, I always appreciate your perspective. I'm glad that we could get together. And I'm also glad that we started with the ridiculous stuff first, because that was fun. Um, and yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for whatever Kendall Wright signing there is that we all write big stories. Uh, <laughs> always, You know, I'm yeah. always on the lookout for the next Stephen Ridley. It's very exciting. We might have a yes. long snapper competition in camp. There's certainly going to be kicking drama. There's so much stuff. stuff. So much to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ta- uh, certainly wrote way too many words on Tajay Sharp. Yes. That, that really wasn't very many, but <laughs> too many. It, it was too many. Big uh, target in the first game of the year, though. Went <laughs> down. There was a target. There was definitely a target. There was a target. Yeah, uh, it's always good to be on here, and uh, uh, if I if I'm going to come on, it, it's it's a must to have at least one sort of silly banter category <laughs> to talk about because what are we doing if we're not having fun? Exactly. Well, Dave, you're the best. We'll do it again soon, man. Thanks for all your time. You got it. Take care.